All right. Well, welcome back to Forgotten Lakers. We're here with the current coach of Rowan University, Joe Crispin. Uh, for the purpose of this of this podcast, probably a little bit more importantly, we're here with former Los Angeles Laker, Joe Crispin. Joe, how are you doing today? Good, good. Pleasure to be here with you. Great. Thank you. So one of the things, I, one of the first questions I typically like to ask if I get a chance to talk to a former Laker is, uh, how'd you get started with basketball? Like, how'd you get into it? What made you want to play? And when did you realize that you were, you know, significantly better than some of your friends, your teammates, and that you had a future in it? Well, I grew up, my father was a coach. My grandfather was a coach. Uh, my uncle was a high school coach. Um, so I was always around the game. Dinner tables at the grandparents revolved around basketball, um, whether it was some coaching stuff or playing or, or whatever it was. It was just kind of the air I breathed as a kid. And I always loved the game. I mean, it was always my, my number one thing to do up on the playground, play with my friends, gather up kids in the neighborhood. I, I, and I always, you know, probably third, fourth grade, if, if you had asked me what I was going to do, I'd tell you I was going to play in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, oftentimes I tell people, they say, the kids always ask me, did you play in the NBA? Because I, I don't really look like I played in the NBA. And I'll say, well, yes, but not as long as I wanted to, is my standard answer. Sure. Um, but my story was a little different because I was I was young for my age. I didn't necessarily... You know, I was better than my friends maybe at the same age, but I grew up playing with older kids in the neighborhood and mm-hmm. I wasn't a dominant physical force by any stretch. So, you know, mine was a longer journey um, to really, I had to work for it. I had to overcome, you know, whether it was the stereotypes of being from the suburbs and playing against weak competition or uh, being a smaller guard who shot a lot of threes, especially back in the nineties, which, you know, wasn't the most popular thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um Mine was a little bit longer journey, and I had to. I always felt like I was proving something and and showing that I could play at the next level. You played at Pittman High School in Pittman, New Jersey, which uh, you know, like you said, you're playing in the '90s, late '90s, not far from Philadelphia. In the late '90s, at the same time, one of your future NBA teammates, Kobe Bryant, was playing in Philadelphia at that time. Did you get a chance to like play with him either in an official high school game or pickup game during that time? I don't think so. I, I might have played against him in the Sunny Hill League. You know, he was only a year older than me in school. Yeah. Um, which, you know, when people always said you played against, you know, you played with Kobe. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, Kobe was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But from my standpoint, I'm sitting there going, hey, you know, you were a senior. I was a junior, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the way I was wired, it was like, I'm going to come at you. So uh-huh. I, I don't necessarily remember a lot of things really well when it comes to basketball because all the games and stuff run together. But yeah, I did spend a lot of time playing in the Sunny Hill Lake during my high school and college years, mm-hmm. um, which was great for me. Uh, but certainly I was not the guy that until I was probably a senior and then into college, people would really remember playing against. Sure. Yeah, I know he definitely did play in the Sunny Hill League. I was just I just read like a huge 600-page biography that was recently written about him. It talked a lot about the Sunny Hill League. And so that's interesting. Yeah, it was it was big back then. I mean, just for me as a South Jersey kid, uh, it was usually only one team from South Jersey and I mean, it was a good good league. I mean, from ninth grade on, it was great competition. Then after, you know, your Pittman career, you go on to Penn State. Can you discuss what your college recruitment was like and if you were considering any other schools at that time? Yeah, my college recruitment was odd. Um, I was not – 
highly recruited. Typically, you get a lot of recruiting interest after your junior year, during that junior summer, um, even during your junior year nowadays, even earlier. But physically, I really kind of developed later, and it, my recruiting reflected it. Uh, I even went on a visit to Quinnipiac in the fall of my senior year, and they weren't even D1. They were turning D1. Mm-hmm. But by the end of that year, I'd taken a visit to St. Bonaventure. Uh, Maryland was in the mix, uh, although they didn't offer in time, I think, if I remember correctly, Northwestern. Some bigger schools came along. A lot of mid-majors and low-majors came to see me play and didn't think they could get me, is what I mm-hmm. heard from coaches later. So I ended up in this kind of weird vacuum. And as the story goes, I actually took a visit to, to William and & Mary. And, and during that time, at some point, Bob Hurley Sr. had seen me play. And uh, our Penn State coach uh, was recruiting their point guard. And he said, to, uh, Bob Hurley, Coach Hurley said, listen, you know, Jerry, you're not going to get my point guard, but you need to take a look at this kid, Crispin. <laughs> and within two, three weeks, Uh, Within a month, I was committed to Penn State after an unofficial visit. It was in April. Uh, I don't think I heard from Penn State until late March at the earliest. Mm -hmm. So it was just a really kind of odd, weird recruiting thing that I was so focused on my senior year. And I always had the philosophy that I'm going to be good enough that you're going to want me eventually. Mm -hmm. And it worked out that way. I don't know what my backup plan was. I don't think I had one. (laughs) But uh, it worked out, and I was totally happy to go to Penn State, and it felt like home to me. It still does. So it worked out well, but it was a you don't get many of those stories anymore. <laughs> and that's so cool how everything just kind of worked out that way, especially that you ended up getting to play with your brother at Penn State. Was he, I guess he was younger than you? Yeah, he was two years younger, man. He was different in that he was a very highly recruited, you know, naturally because I was, I had success that helped him, but he was also just very physically gifted player. I mean, he was an incredible scorer mm-hmm. and um, he had an injury in his, during his junior summer. So he missed out on Nike camp and, uh, you know, he was, he was pretty elite. He was playing at a high level. Yep. So it kind of hurt his recruitment, but at the end of the day, we did want to play together. I mean, we, we enjoyed playing together. We fought like crazy when we were younger, even yeah. on the court. But we did enjoy playing together, and uh, we did spend two years playing together. He ended up transferring to UCLA, which was a tough one for him. But Mm -hmm. we still enjoyed, and and we did have success. So uh, we both still consider State College at home. That must have been so cool for your uh, family members to have both of y'all playing on Penn State, getting to play on TV regularly, NCAA tournaments. That just must have been an incredible experience. Yeah, I mean, for my grandfather, for my my family, which were were pretty tight-knit, I have a ton of community support um, from, you know, growing up in a small town. You know, when you're in the mix, it's just, you know, I I wasn't really focused on those things when you're doing it. You're so focused on taking the next step and being successful and wanting to win this game. You often don't step back and say, wow, this is fun. Um, Mm -hmm. I try to encourage, I try to encourage my players to do that now because I didn't do it when I was their age. But looking back, it certainly was, uh, unique and you know something I'm very thankful for. So you end up going undrafted in the 2001 NBA draft. So what ended up happening like in between when you go undrafted and eventually signing with the Lakers? Did you play summer league? Were you considering overseas offers? How did that work out? Well, back then, you know, it was a little bit different with some of the draft thing. Though the first round was a, still the guarantee, and um, 
I knew the Lakers had interest and that they didn't have a draft pick. And mm-hmm. uh, it's, during that time, it's it's hard for people to remember, but three-point shooting was not a highly valued thing in the sure. NBA, which, you know, I wish I was born 10 years later, I guess. Yeah, but I was going to ask the, you that. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll get to that. But, um, you know, especially my three-point shooting, I was an off-the-dribble kind of guy, and I, and I did shoot a high percentage off the dribble, but it was not valued. Mm-hmm. And the Lakers were one of the few teams in the NBA that really valued the three. They had Shaq. They, they needed shooters. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew that they had interest. You know, Jerry West was still consulting at the time and had given me some positive feedback at some pre-draft camps, even though I wasn't the greatest in those situations. So really after they didn't, you know, there was a chance that they were late first round with some trades and whatever else. And I knew them and maybe one other team, I forget who it was, were kind of interested. I didn't want to get drafted in the second round. So I actually spent the second round praying I didn't get drafted, which is sounds oh, wow. weird. I guess so because you actually had more options available to you if you weren't drafted. That's exactly right. I had more options for summer league. I had more options as a free agent mm-hmm. um, to kind of figure out the way things played out. And it worked out. I ended up going to summer league with the Lakers. I actually split summer league. The first five games went with the Lakers. Next five games went with the Wizards. Mm-hmm. And I played. I uh, I played a couple really really good games with the Lakers uh, in summer league, and uh, they wanted me. Uh, I ended up going to the Wizards. Didn't really fit. It was kind of a weird. It's all about fit in the end, and it it wasn't great the second part. But they gave me a small guarantee. And it was a pretty easy decision to go to training camp. Cool. So I guess that's the moment that you found out they officially wanted to sign you and that you'd be going to training camp. So what is a Phil Jackson training camp like? Well, you know, for me, going to the Lakers was very good because they were so solidified. They knew who they were. They knew what they needed. Uh, They knew what they needed to do. There was no need to overwork anybody because they were literally the best team in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was a good situation for me, too, because I had ample opportunity to show what I could do. You know, they didn't need to overwork their guards. They had great veteran guards. So when it came to practice time and, you know, even the beginning of preseason, they didn't have a great concern to, you know, drum their guys in the ground. So I knew I had the opportunity. And that, that really helped me to make the team at all. Uh, now, it got harder once the season started because, you know, then you're coming off the bench you might play you don't play and that that was tough for me at that time as far as preseason went and, and before the season it, it was a great opportunity and it was a great group of guys to play with because they were they were veterans they were great players so that was kind of one of the few years in the Kobe and Shaq area you know the 2001-2002 season where there wasn't a big public blow-up um, you know, whether it's through the press or, you know, things that report reported, like, you know, fights in practice, et cetera. You know, even in your short stint there, could you sense tension between Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal? Yeah, it was, it was there. It, there was some transition there that was going on. You know, Shaq was still the most dominant player in the world, but Kobe and Kobe's always had that drive to mm-hmm. be the man and to, to take charge, which, you know, I can relate to. I mean, it's not a, it's not a wrong drive. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were still, that was, that was kind of that transition period where he wants to, to move up and have that. And, you know, in some senses he did, and it got messy later on. 
um, which is a shame, I think. But uh, it it was there. It it wasn't too disruptive. I mean, naturally they dominated, and I think you know during the first month of the season when I was there, I think we lost one game. Yeah, that so, had a great start to the season that year. Yeah, so <laughs> it was not a it was not a problem, but you could it was that it was it was there. It was that time that you could sense it. So, like I mentioned before we got started, I had Tracy Murray on who played the Lakers the season after you did. And he just, he was mentioning how just what a great teammate Shaq was and how he was so beloved in the locker room. Do you have any, you know, great stories or memories of Shaq being just a tremendous teammate? Yeah. And Shaq's one of those guys that, I mean, and I tell people this and I don't do this. I'm not the best at staying connected to everyone. If I felt like I needed to get a hold of Shaq, I, I think I could. And I think oh, he yeah. did. And yeah, that's just the kind of guy he is. Uh-huh. Um, he, you know, at one point, you know, a number of rookie and I mean, him and I are like total opposite of the spectrum. I'm a six foot white guy <laughs> from the suburbs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, but I'm real. I'm, and I'm not, you know, I'm aggressive and I, I take it at people and I'm confident most times. And, um, I always had a good rapport with Shaq. We had lots of interesting conversations all over the map. And at one point, even at the beginning of the season, he actually flew my whole family out first class. Um, for the first game I suited up for. Wow. And yeah, and it was something he initiated and was not, I didn't even, he actually initiated it twice. And he's not the kind of guy who throws that stuff out there and yeah. he just made it happen and he did it. And it's, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty special. My entire family did it. So uh, they, they came out, my sister was out, I had two sisters back mm-hmm. in Jersey. So they got to see my first game, but I, I enjoyed playing with Shaq. I enjoy conversing with Shaq. Uh, he's got kind of one of those big personalities that's, um, you know, as everybody knows, it's, that's who he is. That's just, that's, that's just who he is. That's cool. Yeah. He was my favorite player as a kid. And um, he's the reason I'm a Lakers fan. I started following basketball his last year in Orlando and he was my favorite player. Then I just kind of followed him to the Lakers and stayed ever since. So um, yeah, he's the reason that, you know, I've been a Laker fan for over 20 years now. So it's cool to hear stories about that, just stories like that. Yeah. So just move, uh, going, continuing with your rookie year, you know, you always hear stories about like rookie hazing, you know, like carrying all the luggage, bringing donuts to practice. Did you have to take part in all that? There honestly wasn't much of it. Um, oh, interesting. I think Kobe kind of gave me the hard, hardest time, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, which I always thought was ironic because um, I was like, Kobe, I would have played against you in high school. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, uh-huh. And I was at a different point. Like, I always thought Kobe was an incredible player. Yeah. But he was only a year older than me. And uh-huh. I was like, well, you, you, you're amazing, but you're a year <laughs> older than I am. Like, what are, you, what are we talking about here? I went to school and you didn't. So I usually didn't care, but I just thought it was funny because uh, most of the veteran guys, you know, would even pick up the check because, you know, by the time, you know, it, you know, I didn't get paid till, you know, the middle of November. And I was mm-hmm. living in LA and getting that small stipend check and meal money. So I wasn't making a whole lot of money. So I guess they couldn't, you know, people say you're in the NBA. I'm like, yeah, I haven't gotten paid yet. And, and <laughs> you know, I haven't, I don't, it's not a guaranteed contract here. So I'm not, I don't have a whole lot to spend, sure. but uh, fortunately, and that was a good, it was a good environment. It was a positive environment. And I think that helped me succeed. And that's one of the reasons why they were successful. So feel free to correct me if I'm wrong here at any of this. This is all just internet research. So I'd, if I found something that's in your, inaccurate, let me know. But, you know, Derek Fisher was out with injury at the beginning of that year for a little bit. 
he comes back and that eventually led to you being released from the team? Yeah, he came back a little earlier than they expected. And, you know, naturally he's was a phenomenal player and leader. I, I, I think, you know, there was the salary cap stuff. There was all this stuff going on. I think though, at the end of the day, from my standpoint, I did really, really well in the preseason. I was aggressive. I was, you know, I had opportunity. I, I really played with a great deal of confidence. Then the season started coming around, and I, and I did at the beginning, but it, it was hard. You sit two, three games, you're sitting on the floor, then all of a sudden you're playing, which was something I never had done. I don't think I performed great in the first month. Now, I only played six games, mm-hmm. but I didn't feel like I had the same edge to me. So, I, you know, I think – in hindsight, if I had kept playing the way I felt like I was capable, might they have kept me? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even then, they might not have. You know, my conversations with Phil and uh, the coaching staff and Mitch Kupchak at the time was, hey, listen, you know, Derek's back. We still have some cap room stuff, you know, but were they just being nice? I don't know. You know, yeah. but from my standpoint, I don't think I was performing as well as I really believe I could have. So mm-hmm. there's probably a little bit of both end up catching on with Phoenix and then just going through both the Lakers roster that year and Phoenix's roster, even in your short stint in the NBA, you got to play with kind of like a who's who of nineties and two thousands basketball, Kobe, Shaq, Mitch Richmond, Penny Hardaway, Stefan Marbury, Tom Gugliotta, Sean Marion, Joe Johnson. Do you ever in a way feel like you hit the jackpot of NBA teammates, even just in one year? Yeah, it was pretty unique. And they were, and it was a good group of guys too. You know, I mean, Dan Marley was in his last year. Oh yeah. Dan Marley. You know, I didn't, you know, I played, you know, I was very fortunate too in this, in terms of coaches during my career. I mean, my first two months, you know, especially for me in preparation to coach, mm-hmm. which I didn't always think about, but until about midway through my career, but it was obvious that I would want to do that. You know, in one year I had Phil Jackson, I had Scott Brooks was in the ABA, which is, I think one of the biggest reasons I ended up back with Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of got my confidence back and it was as good as I was maybe had ever played mm-hmm. um, under Scott Brooks, who was definitely a guy who could understand me. And then yeah. I go play for Scott Skiles. So mm-hmm. I had Scott Skiles and I had all those teammates you mentioned. Uh, I played against Jordan a couple games. I played against Stockton I was ask a couple you about games. That. Yeah, you had two games against the Wizards. And you were saying Stockton as well? Yeah, yeah. So you talk about those guys are 40 years old. And I mean, mm-hmm. I learned more playing against Stockton for whatever, 30 minutes than, you know, maybe anyone else ever. Um, with the way he moved and understood the game and played. And, you know, I don't know if I said four words to him, but I learned from him, that's for sure. Can you go into any memories, uh, you know, against playing Michael Jordan? You're the two times you got to play the Wizards that year? Well, a couple of them were, you know, the first time around, I actually, I played okay in the first half and Jordan had like 41 and (laughs) they were up maybe 15. And I was kind of just frustrated because I didn't feel like I was just going for it. And I was, you know, the way I played didn't fit the time. It didn't, you know, mm-hmm. transition threes, threes off ball screens. That's, that's what I did in my career. Yeah. And that game in particular, I was, I can remember just saying, and it was, I ended up having 13 points in the last five minutes, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just remember saying, man, forget this. I'm just going to go play. Yeah. <laughs> and we ended up making a run and at least made the game interesting. But, you know, the funny thing about playing against those guys is like, you're so zoned in on the game that you don't really think about it. The only time I did think about it was at the end of the year, we played him again and I hadn't played for a month and a half or so. Scott Skiles and Frank Johnson, Frank Johnson took over for Skiles about five weeks into my career. Mm -hmm. Frank didn't want to shoot as many threes. 
which yeah. you know would would get him thrown out of the league this nowadays but back then was kind of normal mm-hmm. and so I didn't play a whole lot but yeah. I did get in that game for a little bit it was just okay and Jordan ended up hitting the game winner and I, about a oh, second yeah, left I I really, I right over Sean Marion right yep right over Sean Marion and I remember saying to yeah. uh and we weren't going to make the playoffs at this point and everything else and I remember saying to Dan Marley him and I were on the bench and I said well listen man if I'm going to lose on a game winner, at least it's to Michael Jordan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I can say my team lost to Michael Jordan. I, that I can live with more than maybe somebody else. Yeah, man. It'll say you, you played against him and uh, during a game where he hit a game winner. That's you know got to be a nice memory. You can tell your kids and grandkids and everything eventually. So that's that's incredible. It was. It was. Uh, then you go on to have a lengthy career overseas with other NBA guys talk about you who have gone back and forth between Europe and the NBA, they talk about like the best parts and then some horror stories. Do you have any great horror stories you could share about your time overseas? Uh, too many. Okay. Um, <laughs> we don't have enough time for all of them, but yeah. uh, they often come out in the midst of team meetings and stuff like that nowadays. And my kids just look at me like, what? Yeah. But um, the, you know, one of my first experiences overseas was with a club called Ike, and it was a. We were very, very good. We had a big budget. Uh, we were in Euroleague. We, I think, we lost in the finals that year to Panathinaikos. This is another high-powered European team. Sure. But uh, they were. By the time I left, they owed me half my money. And at one point during the year, uh, just give this story because this one was a classic. One was a fight that broke out in the middle of a playoff game between the riot police and the fans, and the fans won the fight. So, you know, there was stuff flying on the court. Our players were running up into the stands to break up the fight between the riot police and the fans because the riot police were trying to take positions in order to guard teams when they came in and out of the game. And, you know, the fans weren't having it. So a big fight breaks out and the people couldn't understand even after the game, why the riot police would by any chance go into the fan section. You know, and at this point, it's it's mid-late June, and I'm just looking at these folks like, where do you live? What planet am I on <laughs> that the police can't go where they please without a fight breaking out? And then they win, and the game goes on. So, you know, during that same series, too, uh, we won the first game on a kind of – not a controversial call, but they didn't reset the shot clock a minute left. We were in control of the game. We were going to win the game mm-hmm. against Olympiacos. They were a high-powered, high-political team. They always have been. We, we ended up winning the series, best out of three. We won game three. Well, mm-hmm. after the series ended, we got word that we had to replay the first game because of that shot clock violation. Wow. So we actually, we actually won a best of three series in four games. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's just the beginning. I mean, it's a different universe. And it was a – I always tell people I, had, I got a basketball education that I – Never would have imagined, never would have asked for, but I'm thankful I did. I bet. So the places I played, the coaches I played for, the communities I played for overseas. I mean, listen, I wanted to play 14 years in the NBA. I wanted to play like Steve Nash and get up and down, but it didn't work out that way. I ended up overseas figuring out the niche, and uh, I learned a ton, and I'm thankful for it. One last question for you. I'm just curious about if – 
you know, former Lakers are still playing. You were still playing, you know, professionally five or six years ago. So will you get out on the court with your Rowan team or do you play a lot of pickup at all? Or have you hung up your sneakers for good? I don't play a ton. Um, you know, I, I could have played. I mean, I, I had some injuries at, at the end of my career, but I still had planned on playing until I was about 36. I, uh, barring like a major injury, I yeah. think I could have done it. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of at the point where I was very clear. I wanted to coach and I didn't want to wait forever. Yep. Um, I don't play a ton, but I do hop out with my rowing guys. And actually, one of my plans now is just to kind of get the juices flowing a little bit more workout-wise because, you know, I can still show them what I mean. And there's a value. There's value in that from a coaching perspective. Um, when I say, go guard me, and they can't, it helps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does. And I, I'm only going to be able to do that so long. <laughs> Cool, cool. Well, uh, uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, Joe. I really appreciate it. I had a ton of fun getting to learn about your Laker career. And uh, I'll send you the link and everything once it's posted, if you're interested. I play. No, I, I would appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Cool. Well, uh, thanks again. And best of luck this season with Rowan. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. See ya.